Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. This is Dick Drobnik in New York, and I have the privilege this afternoon to interview uh, Danny Russell. Danny is vice president of the Asian Society's Policy Institute and formerly is a career diplomat and was the Assistant Secretary of State for uh, East Asia and Pacific. And so let me begin by saying, Danny, welcome to the Marshall School's Business Class Podcast. Well, thanks, Dick. I'm happy to join you for the podcast. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing at the Asia Society Policy Institute. We have both a pretty good sense of how policymakers in governments uh, absorb information and make decisions, but also an unquenchable uh, desire to have an impact and to try to make things better. So, we're as a think tank, we're not simply spectators. Uh, we're uh, embarked in an effort to uh, try to offer practical solutions that can make a difference. So, what can ASPE do, think and do about? what some of us think is an unraveling of the U.S.-China uh, relationship, or potential unraveling. Well, we're unquestionably faced with a collision uh, between uh, the proverbial irresistible force, the uh, administration of Donald J. Trump, and the proverbial immovable object, which is the, the system under the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the real issue is going to be whether uh, that collision produces uh, effects that will damage the world and U.S.-China interests or whether it can in some fashion uh, lead to uh, a happy ending, a better outcome. And uh, I think we should be concerned with a very confrontational approach uh, that really uh, puts the U.S. and China at odds without a visible process for reconciling our interests and reconciling some of our differences. Were, were you able to manage some situations? Can you give us an example or share an example or two of where the differences could not be resolved? One important uh, example, I think, would be on the Chinese practice of uh, supporting uh, cyber activities and cyber theft as a government policy, and then taking the proprietary business information that was purloined uh, and transferring it to state-owned enterprises to be commercialized. and. We had long battles with the Chinese, including between President Obama and Hu Jintao, and then later uh, Xi Jinping, in which the Chinese simply categorically denied it occurred uh, or equated denied it. Denied the theft or den denied turning it over for commercialization to the SOEs? Um, denied everything uh, up, down, and sideways. But eventually, Payne's Takingly, over time, uh, we were successful in bringing home to the Chinese the fact that there would indeed be 
significant consequences. Not just the, I'm going to come over there and kick your butt kind of messaging, but we could show them not only that we had uh, reliable information, that much of this activity was emanating from servers in China, but also that there were consequences in terms of the prospect of congressional action, prospect of legal action, and the party leadership in Beijing uh, finally saw that the U.S.-China relationship broadly, but specifically the prospects for a successful visit to the United States from by uh, then president by President Xi Jinping were potentially in peril. But but Danny, the current administration would say, well, all these efforts were failures, and and we have to do things differently to number one get their attention and get their to change their behavior and get them to adjust their economy to operate like our economy. What what are your thoughts about? Well, I think we can see right now that we are in a downward spiral of mutual vilification and acrimony. Um, we're, I think, in danger of taking steps down the path of Cold War unfettered uh, competition, where uh, unlike competition, which brings out the best in both sides, if it's competition according to an agreed set of rules, strategic rivalry of that sort really brings out the worst in both sides. Well, the ideas were floated in the White House recently of banning all Chinese students from coming to the United States. I mean, this is getting back into the U.S.-Russian near-hot near war, Cold War years. Yeah, I agree. I think it has a very uh, worrisome Cold War flavor to it. but. We're not in the 1950s and 60s, we're in the digital age. Mm. Uh, we're in a knowledge uh, economy, and uh, it is no small matter to uh, prejudice the participation of Chinese students or Chinese academics in uh, US research and, and academic institutions. That is not a good thing for us. It's a it's administering a, a kind of uh, medicine that is going to kill the patient. Well, what happened in June? There was supposed to be a high-level meeting, and the Chinese were going to buy a lot more Boeing airplanes or commit to a lot of oil and gas, which as an economist, this is not the way to fix the system. This is managed right. trade rather sure. than multilateral open trade. Uh, why didn't that go forward? There would seem like there was a lot of hype from the administration, we've got a deal going, we're sending Munchen over to China and so on and so forth. What happened? Um, the bigger issue perhaps, Dick, is that the, uh, the president and much of his team clearly uh, believe that negotiating with China is a fool's errand, that the Chinese use uh, negotiations the way that spiders use webs, that they trap you and they trick you and you'll never get anywhere. Uh, secondly, with justice, uh, it may be that the Trump administration recognized that, you know, promising to buy a couple of Boeings and a few more 
tons of soybeans and some machines and so on is a, a familiar Chinese dodge. Um, first, it, as you said, it doesn't alter any of the fundamentals. Second, the actual delivery rate on those sorts of Chinese promises is, depending on who you ask, somewhere in the 10 to 20 percent rate at best. The long and the short of it is that um, while at various moments uh, each side has clearly signaled that they want a deal, I would say that the Chinese side seems to want to settle out of court, whereas the American side is going for a felony conviction mm -hmm. uh, and maximum sentencing. In March, Danny, I had a, a, a meeting with an ambassador-level Chinese official, very articulate person, and at this point the discussion about tariffs was just starting. And he said that it's not going to be easy, if at all possible, to get them to accept the American demands. And, and therefore, are we in for another $200 billion of Chinese product to be tariffed? Are we in for a much more, much, much more active CFIUS type restrictions on Chinese investments? And if it is, we're probably moving into a different business world. I think we are probably moving into a different business world. Uh, it's what I call the new abnormal. Uh, and it may well be that it gets considerably worse uh, before there's an amelioration to it. I, I would rewrite uh, the three uh, assertions, frankly, based on my own experience. I think the first stands, China does not want to trade more. I, I think I would say, uh, from my conversations and observations, China believes that it has the wherewithal mm. to uh, outlast the Trump administration and to survive uh, a trade war of attrition. It uh, doesn't want to, but it can tough it out. Uh, and as for the third point, I think it's that uh, the Communist Party of China believes that it cannot afford to be bullied or to appear to be bullied and still retain the so-called mandate of heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a real inflexibility to uh, authoritarian systems, contrary to perhaps what some people think, uh, that derives from the legitimacy crisis that they have. They've got no elections, there's no replenishing of people's choice, and so they are, uh, for that reason, phenomenally sensitive to uh, public opinion. One tool for dealing with that is uh, censorship and s strong uh, internal security ministries and social controls and so on. But another is um, ensuring that the choices that the leader makes in terms of policy and foreign policy uh, don't connote weakness. And so I think that getting going straight at the Chinese uh, head-on in a kind of you know 
body slamming motif is almost certainly going to cause them not to give in, but to dig in. If you were advising CEOs of some of the bigger companies that are, that are intertwined in world commerce and look at China both as a market and as a part of their supply chain, what would you tell them? Should they stop investing in China? Should they try to reduce their sales to China? Should they try to lobby the, administ the American administration to be more nuanced in its, in its uh, anti-China policies? What, what would you say? What, what do you say? <laughs> well, um, any, any company that's taking uh, business advice from me is in, uh, probably in trouble. Uh, so I won't make judgments about uh, the extent or the character of investments in China or divestiture from uh, China, other than to say, look, China's not going away. But secondly, and more importantly, I think uh, the business community, uh, whether by industry or sector or individually, even though businesses are understandably reluctant to be seen as sending political messages, uh, really need to speak up and be heard. Uh, not to tell the U.S. administration what to do and what not to do, but to be uh, forthright in describing the impact um, uh, business equities of a policy uh, and to advocate for a way forward that protects uh, U.S. financial and business interests. But by the same token, it's equally important, I think, uh, for and even more difficult uh, for businesses and business organizations to uh, try to counsel and coach uh, the Chinese uh, on what sorts of practices are alienating uh, that pool of potential friends or former friends of China and what sort of business decisions flow from the uh, unwillingness of China to open markets and to uh, allow the kind of reciprocal uh, access uh, that Chinese companies enjoy elsewhere in the world. Okay. It's a tall order, I know. It's a but, tall order. But the... It's an important order. Yeah. I, I think your, your point, China is not going to go away. The Chinese economy is not going to collapse because of our tariffs or because of foreign investment restrictions. It'll slow it down, it'll change its customer base, it'll do a number of things. But, and I also agree with you that it's suicidal for the Chinese government to be seen by its people as giving in to the American hegemon. And so there, I, my guess is that we're going to go down a path of deteriorating relations for, for a while. And uh, hopefully the collateral damage to our companies is not too bad, and to our allies and partners uh, around the world. And um, we'll see. I'd like to interview you again about nine months from now. Okay. <laughs> well, you know where to find me. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you. Business class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, 
producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.